do this. Cast by faithful and for faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here tonight with Bruce. Mercury. Hey, Bruce. Hey, David. How are you doing tonight? Great. You got your Oilers orange on there. Is that is that correct? Yeah. Well, it's actually uh, every every child matters orange, but it's orange, so it's a game day shirt. There you go. So. Most, not very many of the opponents were orange, just a couple of them. I guess the Islanders and the Ducks, I think, are about the yeah. only ones. But, uh, Fortunately, we uh, never played so. the Denver Broncos. Oh, no, that's do right. they still wear orange? I don't even know if they do. I don't watch the NFL anymore. I don't anymore. think they do anymore. No, I think, well, it's trim. I think it's blue with orange oh, trim. The orange crush. Yeah. yeah. 70s like mandatory that. 1970s sports reference. Lyle Alzado. All right. Um, Bruce, that was a fantastic win by the Edmonton Oilers tonight. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> a deserved win by the Oilers, I thought. Mm -hmm. A lot went right. Some went, some went wrong, and we're going to get into it. This is our two good things, two bad things, and two numbers podcast. So I'll start it off because my my good thing is something that I wrote about um, at the start of the uh, in my post earlier today. And which which had the headline of pretty please can the Oilers not give up the first goal of the game tonight and they didn't they scored the first goal of the game that's the eighth time uh, eighth time in uh, the 18 games that they did that they've done so Bruce um, when the Oilers uh, in, in seven of their of their eight losses this year seven of the you know, they've only lost the eight games. The opposing team scored the first goal. So um, if that opposing team's going to score the first goal, the Oilers are most likely going to lose the game. And their losses come invariably when there's that first goal scored against them. Tonight, though, um, I just thought they, they played a really um, strong game right from the top. There was a break in play. Um, but I think it actually had as much to do with an illegal pick on yes, Poli RV at the center ice area. Still happened, but um, um, and it would have countered if there had been a goal against. But I don't even think they got a shot. They didn't get a shot off on net, um, so they missed the net on the shot. But the orders I thought were strong early in the game, and voila, uh, at 18:05 of the first period, they made an absolutely fantastic play. I thought Leon Drysaddle. Um, came out flying, like skating uh, very, very hard early in the game. And his line was out there for this goal. It was an absolutely, it was, you know, we're going to talk about this. They scored a number of beautiful goals, and this was one of them. Um, Dreisaitl <coughs> and, and Ryan Murray were moving the puck very nicely back and forth between each other, kind of diagonal passes. And then Murray hit Ryan Nugent Hopkins in the slot, and Nugent threw it at the net kind of a shot pass. Fogel got the, the puck before actually it hit the net. He kind of picked it up right in front of the goalie and slammed it home. It was a beautiful passing play, and it was indicative of a strong start, of the Oilers' strong start. I actually don't think the Oilers' starts, they're, they're not to do with a lack of kind of offensive um, will, will or offensive skill. The Oilers have had bad starts this year because they don't usually crank up their defensive play till they get behind in about half their, you know, in too many games. And they've got they've got a lot of bad habits in this regard, that they've got to break as a team if they want to be a team that's challenges for the Stanley Cup. And it goes up and down the lineup. It's every single player um, who's making these mistakes early in the game. It's their most prominent players 
uh, making them more often than anyone else because they're on the ice more than anyone else as much as anything. But they're, they, they've got to crank it up, and I thought they did. I thought players like McDavid and Dreisaitl and Nugent Hopkins and Hyman and Nurse and Cece, they all came on and played really hard-nosed, strong defense um, <coughs> to start the game, and they've just got to do it. They've got to make that their habit. They're, uh, you know, as they say in, in, said in the post, they've got to make it their religion. religion. I saw that tonight, Bruce, and I was impressed with that. I thought the Oilers, um, you know, I don't, I don't know if this habit will last. I hope it does, but it, it is a habit that must last for this team if they do hope to, to challenge for the Stanley Cup. There's no other way they're going to do it, um, so they might as well get in the habit now um, of doing it and uh, continue it forward, and that's what I hope to see. Yeah, fundamental professionalism, as far as I'm concerned, to be ready for the start of the game. I mean, the odd time you're going to get blitzed, but it shouldn't be a, like two times a week occurrence <laughs> that you're, you know, you're trailing by the first TV timeout and you're down 10-1 on the shot clock halfway through the first period. It's happened like three or four times lately. It's just, yeah, you know, hello, wake up. <laughs> yeah. And we're not saying wake up ni- as nicely as that when we're watching it on TV. Either. Not always. <laughs> <laughs> and neither are other fans. It's very frustrating. Oh, no. No, no. I thought the coach is crazy. Mm-hmm. And it's been a number of coaches. Like, there's been, this has been a habit. This has been a um, an ongoing issue in the McDavid era. You know, with McDavid, Dreisaitl, um, the, the two, uh, and Nurse, the, the, you know, the three players who've been here the whole time, Nugent Hopkins, a few others. And they're part of it, right? They've got mm-hmm. to make up their minds as much as anyone else, honestly. If I'm completely honest, this is what I really think. The star players on this team have got to make up their minds. That's This is just not happening anymore. You know, it might happen. Might happen. You know, you, you, even really great players can get beat now and then. But it's not going to happen every second game like it's been happening, where you're getting, you know, stormed out of the gates by the other team, and you're you're fumbling around with the puck, and your your legs aren't moving, and your mind's not moving, and you're letting guys in. These leaders of this team have got to decide not on our watch. We're going to, mm-hmm. you know, our mm-hmm. team is going to be defined by strong defensive play right from the top of the game. Bruce, and if I think if they get that right. Everything else will fall into, will fall into this place this, for this team. It doesn't mean they're going to win the cup, but they will go far in the playoffs. They will do very well, and um, they just got to get they got to get this right. So. Well, job one is making the playoffs, and uh, yeah, you know they've had uh, uh, so far in the second ten game segment. This was just their third win. They've already lost five in regulation. You know, so at best they're treading water, and they're. Uh, you know, more likely that they're not even doing that at the at the current uh, time, and so they, you know, they have to they have to clean up a few things. But being ready for the start of the darn game is pretty high on that list. They were tonight. They were. They were. I thought they skating were. hard and uh, bringing it physically and, and having their share of the puck, and you know, and they did get that uh, that first goal. Although this game, unlike the previous six, I think. The team that scored first never trailed, whereas tonight the lead actually did change hands. Vegas scored the second and third goals, then Edmonton got the fourth and fifth, uh, and it kept seesawing back and forth. But uh, Edmonton had, uh, well, in the end, I guess three leads, and Vegas had one, but it was a, a bit of a seesaw affair. That second goal was was so critical as well, obviously. Mm-hmm. 
Let's get to your good things, Bruce, because you're going to talk yeah. about the, the other three goals, which were. I'm going to talk about all the goals because I thought the I thought the uh, orders. <clears throat> Uh, I mean, if you look at the numbers of this game, the Oilers got outshot. Uh, we had them as being outchanced. Uh, but on the Oilers' chances, like they executed super well on all of their goals, which were all basically beautiful passing plays. Yeah. And it was, I mean, that uh, the first goal that you already described, you know, a real good play by Leon along the boards to uh, uh, get it to uh, Murray on the point. And Murray sort of did a, a shot pass where it looked like he was shooting, but he actually fired a diagonal dart to Nugent Hopkins. And as you mentioned, Nugent shot it. There was a shot. Originally, I shot with a shot on goal, but when I saw the replay, it went to Fogel, who either intercepted the shot or it was just a hard pass. And he he was able to uh, take it on the edge of the crease and tuck it home. Well, the second goal uh, was a nifty three-way passing play. Again, Nugent Hopkins involved. Uh, and this time uh, he got a, a good pass to Nurse, and Nurse found a seam, fed it uh, again diagonally to uh, Drysaddle with enough time to, uh, uh, rather than blast the one-timer, there was such a scramble in front, Leon actually held it for a second, picked his spot and wired it home to make it 2-2, and that was a huge stabilizing goal because not only the Oilers given up two goals to fall behind 2-1, but there had been a bit of a defense, defensive um problem for the first half of the second period oh really. yeah and uh and they uh so they were kind of hanging on there so to get a goal at that point and uh, you know stabilize the scoreboard and turn the momentum that was absolutely huge and again five five alarm shots in a row mm-hmm. for the for the yeah. vegas team before that goal right five five alarm shots they in were a row. all five alarms yeah 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 right. well, including the penalty shot goal right right and you know what I loved about that goal, the mm-hmm. Dreisaitl goal? I mean, other than Leon's shot. Mm-hmm. Darnell Nurse's pass was just yeah, it was great. What a, what a pass. Mm-hmm. And he just ripped that. Mm-hmm. And what a thing for Vegas. that You're playing this team. Mm-hmm. You've had five five alarm shots in a row. You do have a goal to show for it, which is right. which is pretty good. But you're playing this team, and they're not getting much. But, man, when they get when any, any little mistake mm-hmm. against these players, and bam, it is mm-hmm. in the net. That is mm-hmm. so. That must be so painful for the opposition teams mm-hmm. have this, you know, surreal level of skill, which, which just in the in the, you know, blink of an eye, they they execute and destroy your defense and your, you know, they're all. My image of this game is Vegas players sprawled on the ice after the Oilers have sliced through them for another brilliant goal. You know, they're they're falling all over the place trying to stop it. They're they're doing their best, but they can't do it. Yeah. So then the Oilers opened the third period with a carryover power play, and after two pretty miserable power plays early in the game, and, and a and a kind of a rough start even to the third period part of this power play. After first of all giving up a great chance late in the second, and then early in the third, uh, uh, Tyson Barry coughed the puck up, and they had a little bit of a look on it, uh, but the puck went down to the other end, and then all of a sudden there's the skill coming through again. The Oilers had one chance uh, that. Uh, didn't work and it looked like the puck was going to go to Vegas and get shot down the ice and Tyson Barry came all the way across from the far point on the right side uh, anticipated the play came racing over and also didn't just he actually didn't win the race to to the puck but his stick did because he did such a great job of stretching out one hand on the stick and just chipping it back into the corner 
and from there the the uh, uh, rest of the team uh, uh, did some of their uh, magic with the puck with uh, Nugent Hopkins again finding uh, uh, McDavid and McDavid in great shooting position uh, instead slipping it over to Zach Hyman who wired it home and that put Edmonton up three to two uh, early in the third and then finally uh, in the overtime period uh, just the one shift, a minute and 23, no, a minute 17 seconds. <clears throat> Same three players on the ice for the entire time, 40 seconds chasing the puck and then 40 seconds with the puck. And McDavid and Drysaddle had had a couple of, you know, sort of dangerous looking possessions. I mean, it always seems dangerous when one of those guys has the puck and the other guy's out there in open ice. Uh, but... Um, uh, Dry Settle got the puck back to Nurse at the point. And Nurse decided to take it out of the zone and do the reset, which is a very common strategy in 3v3 overtime that you don't much see at five on five. Uh, but what it accomplishes in overtime, I mean, it's not hard for two other guys to get back into onside position, but it leaves a lot more space for a play. And <coughs> Nurse, after drifting, drifting back, snapped. He waited for McDavid to, to get back in position and sort of cutting across the ice and then he snapped a good hard pass up to McDavid and all of a sudden he's a one-on-one and he's got 60 feet to work with because he's taking this pass at the blue line as opposed to somewhere in tight to or behind the net and he left one poor guy in his wake right as soon as he received the pass and the other guy trying to scramble over well he had no chance and McDavid did the little uh, inside cut and uh, roof job with a quick two-touch where he just changed the shooting angle and roofed it all in a split second uh, to bring the <clears> night <throat> to a happy conclusion for uh, for oil fans and they were uh, you know they they earned it based on execution I mean I would argue they had uh, uh, probably the four nicest goals in this game I'm biased mind you but I would make that make that case I thought the Vegas goals were uh, sort of garden variety I mean the penalty shot goal was a, you know it was a shot but it wasn't like a shot after three nice passes like all the other goals seemed to be indeed did Nugent have three assists tonight he sure did two at even strength he's taking some grief for his lack of even strength scoring and he responded with a with a couple of apples and then he got a third one on the power play if a, if an assist is an apple what is a goal uh, well, that's a good question. I was trying to look it up the other day and I couldn't find it. Do a you know grape? that <laughs> a grape? Um, so Nuge has 20 points. Mm-hmm. I was just going to check that. That's what which I'm is in 18 games. Pretty um, good. So he's 34th, tied for 34th in the NHL, actually tied for 28th. If he had uh, three more points, Bruce, mm-hmm. he'd be tied for 10th. It's been a while since the have had anyone in three players in the top 10 in scoring. You know, they've had mm-hmm. two players in the top 10 for some time. But there is a there is a chance, and I'm going to say it's like, I don't know, one in five, maybe even higher than that, one in three, chance that either Nuge or Hyman will slip into the top 10 this year in NHL scoring. With well, Nuge Hyman's got to be right there too, right? Hyman's right there as well, close. I think he's got 19. Um, <clears throat> they're very... Um, so... If these guys get hot and the power play gets super hot, you know, if Nuge, Nuge could have, you could, I could see Nuge getting 85, 90 points this year 
and um, that might slip him in, you know, which is fantastic because, you know, based on their salaries, that's that's great value. If you're, if you're getting a, a point or near a point a game out of a player who's earning around, what is it, $5.1 million a year, um, that's outstanding um, uh, return on your dollar. Nuge, Nuge has been getting criticism for his even strength scoring. Um, he's not alone in struggling in that area for Oiler forwards. He does get a lot of really great minutes, though, with McDavid. I, I've liked his play with uh, McDavid and Drysaddle this year. I haven't always liked him with McDavid in the past, Bruce, but I think he's I, I think he's getting to be, he's a slightly more effective even strength player at this year than he's been in the last couple of years. I mean, he was great on the, as we, you know, we call it the dynamite line with him, Drysaddle, and Yamamoto in 2019-20. That line found some real chemistry for 30 games. That's the last time he's been great. But I've really, I've actually liked his play quite a bit at even strength mm-hmm. this year. I think he's quite um, focused and sharp on the attack, especially, and more determined to f- kind of force his will on the game, like to get involved physically, than he's been in the past. I think he can be a, a he can be a perimeter player, um, if, if uh, you know, if honest in our assessment of Nugent Hopkins. But he's getting more into the middle of things on the attack, and um, maybe a bit of that Zach Hyman. Uh, attitudes rubbing off on him because, of course, Hyman's a human pinball out there. He's always in the middle of everything. So, but good for the Nuge. Bruce, let's move on, and we will now talk about our bad things. And my bad thing <clears throat> is going to be some bad luck. And that was on the Vegas first Vegas goal that tied the game. I mean, it's a point shot that goes off a guy's head. Did it, I think it went off his head, didn't it? It looked like it went off his head or his shoulder. And then mm-hmm. <clears throat> higher into the air over, over Skinner, who's right covering off the bottom the of the net and right into the net. So the chances of someone getting a shot off their upper, you know, their shoulder or their head like that and it landing in the net, it, it I mean, you might, you don't see a lot of goals like that. It's just a bad luck play um, against the Oilers. It happens. It's a goal that counts for the other team. You know, we, we've, you know, it's a goal that Pacific Division teams love to try to score, I think. It's, uh, you know, mastered by the Todd McClellan teams, that point shot where you get traffic in front and you hope it hits someone and goes in. And uh, <clears throat> I've called it the Californian because it's the California teams that get it, but I think I'm going to call it the Burnsy because it's Brent Burns who's the master of that shot, of Latin, no. you know, a hard <clears throat> shot that finds a piece of somebody else and goes in the net. Could be his teammate or the opposition, but it goes in the net. It's the, it, the Burns is the master of this play. We've seen it for years, and they got it there. It's frustrating as hell, but um, such is life. It, such is hockey. That's Shoot how hockey into works. Traffic and yeah, you get the bounce. Sure, not the most exciting, but it can <clears> be very ruthlessly efficient. Yeah. I love it when the Oilers score those goals. I admit it. Like when you get one, it's like, wow, that's it just, they just, they like just found money. It is right. Yeah. It's in the middle of the table. You grab it. And that's why teams try to manufacture those shots. It's not a bad mm-hmm. tactic. And the owners need mm-hmm. to do maybe a little bit better shot of trying to get more of those, more of those kind of goals and shots themselves. They, you know, they're having a hard time getting some of their shots through from the point in recent games. Mm-hmm. And uh, it would be, it would be nice to see them score some of those goals. I don't know how many. I don't. I can't re- recall them scoring more than one or two all year long, if that. Edmonton hasn't scored that way. So, uh, and you got to score that way now and then. 
What's your bad thing? Yeah, well, I was thinking about railing on the terrible uh, call by linesman number 90, uh, leading directly to the tying goal in the third period, not that it was an important call or anything, when uh, the puck went right by uh, the uh, Vegas defenseman Shea Theodore, who was skating towards it, and all he had to do was take one more stride and stick a stick out, and it wouldn't have got to the hash marks. And he decided to turn and go back to the goal line, and the and the linesman lets him do that, and then calls icing. It was just absurd. And then, of course, they score off the faceoff. I was pretty sour after that. But I'm actually going to call out my bad thing as the play leading to the penalty shot, uh, where a big part of the problem was two bad line changes by uh, two Oilers that exposed them in the middle of the ice, uh, with uh, one being Brett Kulak going off, mind you, after a, a shift of two minutes and 15 seconds, uh, trying to get it, make the long change. The second period is just brutal, for, especially for the defenseman. That bench is a mile away. You would know this from all the quick shifts you have in your beer league games. That the, the bench is shifts. a lot further in the yeah. second period than it is in the first. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, so I have a little bit of sympathy for him, but he didn't get off in time. And the guy that replaced him, Nurse, really had no chance. He was caught up on ice on the play. Uh, but then the second one, Dylan Holloway. Like, Vegas has got the puck. They have the puck. Inside their own blue line. Holloway's dead center in the middle of the ice as a high forward, kind of covering the pass at the middle. <clears throat> and for some completely unknown, bizarre reason, he decides to glide off. To, he doesn't even hustle. He glides off to the bench, leaving the middle of the ice open. Wham! Pass right up the middle. You know, no defenseman there, no forward there. Well, guess what? Breakaway. Uh, and uh, Ryan Murray on the other side, I mean, he was somewhat at fault, and he wound up committing the foul on the play that they uh, that they called for the uh, for the penalty shot. And I got no real complaint with that call. Uh, and it was, um, uh, but it was just uh, poor game management by, um, uh, uh, to some extent, Kulak, and to a large extent, Holloway. Like I thought, that was a, just a horrendous rookie mistake of. You know, in the long series that he's made to this point. And for all that I understand, all the all the hype and excitement about what a good player Dylan Holloway is going to be, uh, the sad fact is that he is not yet that very good player. And at this point, to this point in the season, he's, to my eyes, been in liability. And I think it's time that they sort of take stock of that and say, time to time to get more reps, get more ice time. Because tonight he played... Uh, what do we got here? Four minutes and 40 seconds with a penalty and zero shot attempts and nothing at all on his event summary other than that penalty and that bad line change that, uh, uh, you know, proved to be pretty costly. And that's a couple of pretty big, big mistakes to be making in under five minutes, you know, hook a guy along the boards and then uh, uh, abandon your position when the other team is in possession of the puck. And, and, it's just happening too often, and I, I I don't want to sound like I'm sour on Dylan Holloway. I just don't think he's ready yet, and I think it's about time the team maybe recognizes that fact and uh, uh, changes well, things about, up for a while. How about um, Tyler Benson had a great preseason, mm-hmm. 
And if he can come back, like he's been off for a while with injury, unfortunately, the story of his life. Um, if he could come back after he's, he's down in Bakersfield, he's playing a bunch of games this week. If he could come back, um, take and take Holloway's place, I mean, he might be just the ticket, right? He's more of a veteran player. He, he's physical now. He's, a, he's an agitator. He's got mm-hmm. a little bit of skill. And, you know, it's okay if Tyler Benson at this, play, at this point plays oh. seven, eight minutes a game. Yeah. He's, it's not okay if Dylan Holloway does. So I agree, Bruce. Like I'm, that was clearly that's a rookie mistake. Yes, he's thinking absolutely. I'm a rookie. I got to get off the ice. Like their coaches now. Yes. Kulak, he's like his head swimming. Like he can't hardly think. He's been he's probably so tired at that point. Mm-hmm. So he, like I, I he's got to get off. But it was a bad line change on his part as well. But if Holloway doesn't change, they can't make that pass. And there's time for Kulak. Right to get off the mm-hmm. ice. Maybe, yeah. Holloway might be able to cover off the middle of the ice. Well, he was right there in good position allow, until he left it. You know, a veteran player might be aware, of, hey, I, I, my D-man has got to get off. I've got to do whatever I can to cover for him and to hang back and not mm-hmm. let them break up the ice, attack up the ice instead of, like, skating off and leaving the middle of the ice wide freaking open like that. So, yeah, um, I don't know. I guess they could call up James Hamblin. Would be the mm-hmm. other guy. Um, he's he's uh, an op- option if Benson's not ready. Like if it, it may take Tyler Benson a month to come back, right, to be ready for the for NHL play. He doesn't want to come up here when he's not ready. But um, <clears throat> he's a good option. Hamblin's a good option. Um, well, those are my two guys. Those, those are who I'd pick. I, I, you know, mm-hmm. Brad Malone is a player that the coach really likes, but I, you know, he's very limited utility in the NHL level. He's kind of he's a little bit slow. They did call uh, him up, actually. I think they must have put Yamamoto on injured reserve, although I haven't checked oh, they've yet. Called up, because, they've called up. Because Malone got called up today. But oh, okay, I missed that. He didn't play, of course, but he was... Uh, there you go. Uh, uh, and Tyler Benson is on the roster as the 23rd man, uh, oh. but he's on a, uh, he's on a uh, rehab assignment yes. in Bakersfield. And in order to do the rehab... And to stay on the, the roster, you have to actually be on the 23-man roster and on the payroll and everything else. So uh, after the end of the, I think it's four games that Benson gets in the time <clears throat> that's allotted, uh, after that, they either have to bring him back and keep him on the roster, or then they have to waive him to keep him in Bakersfield. So these are pretty important games for him down in Bakersfield. But I'm kind of with you. I mean, the Benson that we saw in the preseason um, – uh, he was playing pretty good. It was really tough luck for this guy to, to suffer an injury at such a time that he was really playing his best, put his best foot forward to to fight for a job here. And as you say, you know, it's not like we're would be asking the Oilers would be asking to replace a 15 to 18 minute winger. They got a you know a four to seven minute winger that they're struggling to find places where they can put him in games. And I, I, you know, I just think it's we've seen enough. I've seen enough that tells me this is a really good prospect, but he's not yet an NHL caliber player. The mistakes are outweighing the good plays by a significant margin. Yeah. And at a certain point, you wonder if the you know lessons being learned uh, might be outweighing the confidence being lost. And I'm not sure at all on that front either. So not that a, a demotion to the minors is going to do anything to improve a guy's confidence uh, in the immediate short term, but once he's there, you know, you play the crap out of him 
uh, in all situations. You put him on the power play and the penalty kill and the first line and center and wing and overtime and everything, and say, "Have at her, show us your game, get the you know get 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 your instincts going again." Because playing five minutes a night, you, the, the game won't flow for him, and clearly it's not. Yeah, uh, it's just uh, it's just. Um, uh, been a bit of a train wreck uh, to this point. It kind of it kind of uh, exacerbates itself. You know, start losing trust of the coach and getting less time. Don't play at all in the third period like he didn't tonight. And then the next game, you know, the guy's going to be on tenor hooks. And I think we've actually been seeing that for quite a while. A couple months in Bakersfield would probably do him very well at this point. I, I see no problem at all with that. And if he excels down there, as I expect he will, he'll be up for the playoff run. You know, for mm-hmm. the regular yeah. season, you know, cut, cut up for February, March, and go from there. You know, um, they have options. If Benson's healthy, they're going to have an option there. He's a, he's He can play in the NHL, I think, at this point. Um, well, we're seeing with Matthias, what you're looking for, Yeah, right? and we're seeing with uh, Matthias Janmark coming in. And, he, man, he was he, he looked good with Connor McDavid. I mean, he McDavid sent him in on a breakaway. He, he sent McDavid in on a breakaway. With a battle one there, um, this is this. You know, the owners have a little. They have a little bit of depth here. Um, they don't need Dylan Holloway to um, lead this team to anything. Um, I think Jan Mark is. I wouldn't be surprised to see him stick here, Bruce, for you know a couple of weeks with McDavid, and we'll see how it goes then. Of course, you know everything's highly changeable in the NHL with forward lines, but uh, Jan Mark's earning his keep right now. And um, I, he's just the kind of glue player, I think, who you can team up with two super attackers like Hyman and McDavid and get some chemistry going. You know, a smart, heady player who's good with the puck and wins battles. I mean, man, he could be just the thing. This is what we were hoping Yasupuli Arvi would, would do this year and Yamamoto would do. And they both, I think it's fair to say they both struggled Uh to, to some extent, they're just not, they're not, neither has brought their A game all year, but we're seeing Janmark's A game. He's bringing it right now. So um, let's see, and maybe we'll see Tyler Benson come up and bring his A game, and that'll add something to this team as well, and that's what they need to happen. Bruce, let's go to your number. What is it? Well, I'm actually going to go right back to Matthias Janmark and talk about the 17 minutes and 44 seconds that he played in this game. And when you look at Oilers forwards in this game, the top four are exactly who you think they'd be. Leon Dreisaitl, 23-29. Connor McDavid, 23-12. Zach Hyman, 22-31. Ryan Nugent-Hopkins, 22-12. And that's four of the big five. And, of course, the fifth guy, Vander Kane, is uh, on the sideline. So, that you know, they're really missing him because he logged a lot of ice time as sort yep. of the fifth guy of the big five. And right now, the fifth guy is Matthias Janmark. He had 17.44, and the next forward after him had 15 minutes and 17 seconds, Warren Fogel. And Janmark, in the process, led the penalty kill unit with two minutes, uh, 38 seconds, most of any forward. And this isn't just this game, because on uh, uh, Wednesday night's game against the Kings, Uh, a game that I went to and I wasn't uh, that uh, Ira, thank you Ira, filled in on the podcast for me Um, uh, but we had more of the same in that game, we had you know McDavid 22-43 Hyman 22-03 
Dry Settle 2021, Nugent Hopkins 1943, and then there was like a four to five minute gap again. Number five was Matthias Janmark, 1522, with a team high 253 on the penalty kill. So he hasn't just come up and you know played in the bottom six. He's come <clears> up, <throat> he's been promoted within the lineup, and he's been promoted not just with the line mates, but with actual minutes. Like he's in the top six, if you if you believe the minutes of the last two games, he's been number five with a bullet in both games. So this guy, I mean, he was uh, he was really. Between a rock and a hard place, and caught in that in that terrible cap crunch that the Oilers had. I mean, there's no way they wanted to send him down to the minors, but they had to send one of him and Ryan down just because they, the cap was too tight to allow both of them in the team. And so he had to be chomping at the bit down there, not even playing because he had green card issues, and he finally got to play. And I'm sure he was not very happy being in the AHL. <clears throat> this or any point in his career really but when he come back i mean credit to the guy he played well in his few ahl games and he's played well since he's been up here he's skating he's uh uh you know making uh making things happen he had one play tonight where he made it they were under a bit of pressure and he made a terrific play to block a shot just inside the line and an even more terrific play to somehow get to the loose puck and chip it out and then McDavid was on it. Before you knew it, he'd beaten his guy, and he was going in alone. But that all happened because Janmark had made the big stop. So mostly good. He had a brutal turnover with like a minute and 20 seconds to go in the yeah. period. That could have yeah, ended yeah. very badly indeed. <clears throat> but he, uh, you know, he, he's, I think, looked good. He's very fast. and He's very crafty along the boards. That's, uh, I knew he was fast. I, I, in the games that I've seen preseason and a few regular season games, he's consistently impressed me with his ability to handle a puck in traffic. Yeah, Bruce, I, I wrote a post um, about buried treasure and how hard it's been mm-hmm. for Oilers, GMs, through the decade of darkness, to find mm-hmm. forwards who can come in and play, who actually come mm-hmm. in, you know. And be good. And yeah. be good. It's just, like you know, like, there's a list of, like, it's just endless it's do- yeah. it's dozens and dozens of players who have been brought in and who have mm-hmm. not been good. You know, like just a quick list of names: Ben Eager, Robert Nielsen, Alice Kotelik, Patrick O'Sullivan, Eric Belanger, Jared Smithson, Boyd Gordon. Now, some people might like Boyd Gordon, but I wasn't one of them. Teddy Purcell, Ryan Spooner, Laurie Korpakowski. Colin Fraser, Drake Kajula, Tobias Reeder, and UC Jokinen. So these these were all players that predated Ken Holland. Mm-hmm. And to a large extent, right. they're, they're a big part of the reason that the Oilers never got anywhere. It was the decade of darkness plus. It was a horrible time for the mm-hmm. franchise. Their pro scouting was atrocious. They could not identify talented players or convince talented players to come here. You know, there's always that aspect of it. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, Ken Holland, Bruce, he brought in Evander Kane. And whatever else you want to say, that was a brilliant, that was a brilliant hockey move. You you get a player like that to come here last year um, for pennies on the dollar. And the way Kane played and the success the others had in the playoffs, that was a huge move by Ken Holland. And then you're able to sign him to a long-term deal at a fairly good rate for a player of his ability. Um you know, unfortunately, he's out injured. That happens to players. You can't, you know, that's going to happen. So that that's one, right? 
Now they they convinced Zach Hyman to come here, but Hyman wasn't buried treasure. He's a known commodity. You know that was just McDry. He wants to play with McDavid and Drysaddle. They got him to come here. That was good though. I mean that's good. But mm-hmm. what they need is they they need more players, um, kind of at the bottom end. You know, and like so, I, I think Derek Ryan is is been a useful signing personally. Mm-hmm. That I think Josh Archibald was okayish. Warren Fogle could still work out. Um, you know, he, you know, yes, the Polyarvi could still work out. People are down on him, but Holland convinced him to come back. Ryan McLeod, they, that was a gem found in the draft, I think, in the Shirelli era, era uh, yep. who's developed. Um, Clem Costing could work out, but Janmark is the one. From the first time I saw him play, like, you know, I'm kind of vaguely aware of the players on other teams that aren't their superstars. But from the first time I saw him with the Oilers here, I thought, wow, this guy is a, this guy's a hockey player. Mm-hmm. He can really play. So like a shock, you know, because we, we how often no. have we seen, we've, we, we hardly have ever seen that. A guy who can really play hockey um, mm-hmm. come in, uh, kind of an uh, unheralded player and come in and impress everybody. Now, if he can do, if he can consistently do mm-hmm. that, that's going to be, that's going to be amazing for the Oilers. Like mm-hmm. if you can get a third line or a second, even for a time, a second line or first line player out of, out of him, that will be massive for the Oilers because it never happens, hardly ever happens. So uh, good luck to him. A great first impression, and uh, tonight he he uh, he came through once again. Yeah, well, I'm reminded constantly of the uh, great Craig McTavish quote when he came in as a uh, sort of a wild card in management, and he assessed the uh, uh, the talent pool that had been accumulated by Steve Tambellini, and he said, "We got." Too many guys, I'm paraphrasing, but it should be close. We've got too many guys here where the best that you can hope for is they're going to break even. Yeah. You know, like there's no way they're going to, you know, do anything more positive that, you know, helps you win more than the very, very occasional game. Uh, and, of course, the best you can hope for is they break even. Well, you're not always going to get that either. And all those guys you listed and another thousand that you didn't are were <laughs> mediocre players you know just one after the other that were you know just um uh, uh average or below and most often below and the orders have had this problem with their you know with their stars off the ice right through and deep into the mcdavid era uh you know with the one exception of 2016 17 when you know they got a hot year from mark latestu and they had um you know a little bit more uh uh <clears throat> bounce up and down the lineup and great health that year too but they uh, uh they haven't found too many gems in the uh depth signings and um we'll see on Yanmark. i mean early days but yes uh, early uh, indications are this guy can play and it's past history you know i mean this guy is like a 30 year old guy who's been in the nhl for several years and uh, uh his track record suggests that he can play so uh, let's see what he can do and maybe this uh whether he's a true first liner with mcdavid um well i have my doubts on the other hand you know uh the right player getting the right opportunity. I mean, Patrick Maroon, whoever saw him as being a, a first liner with McDavid. And yet when he got that chance, he took that ball and ran with it. So that's, yeah. that's what you hope for. And all he has, he doesn't have to be like, you know, Steve Shutt, 
or you right. know, like he doesn't have to be Glenn Anderson. He doesn't have to be, um, I don't know, whoever, like a, like a real first line winger, Joe Pavelski. He's just got to be a glue player. He's just got to fill in and mm-hmm. chip in now and then. Mm-hmm. So, and you know, the owners it, during that decade of darkness plus, they just it wasn't just they didn't identify players. They let some really good players slip through their fingers. You know, like. Of course, Ryan Stroman, David Perron, Andrew Cogliano, Kyle Brodziak, and Curtis, Curtis. Glencross. Now, Yanmark strikes me as maybe he can be kind of like a Glencross player, like mm-hmm. like that guy. Um, that's a good player. Yeah, that was that was a real good player that they just, especially at a million dollars. That's a good player, you know. Yeah, yeah they really like that's that the one. thing. I mean, guys like Hyman and um, Kane that we mentioned earlier. Well, they're paying those guys to be good, but boy, you got to find value further down your roster somewhere. You got to have a million dollar player or two or three or four that are out, out uh, performing their cap hit. And the orders had arguably they got Skinner and McLeod uh, in that category. I'd say not even arguably for sure. Those guys are are outperforming, and they have uh, Evan Bouchard still on his uh, entry level contract, uh, who in theory should outperform his. Uh, cap hit over the long term, even as I'm under-enthused with the game he's been playing lately. Um, but you need, you know, a couple of veterans to kick in, too. And then between uh, Janmark and the guy who got called up around the same time, Klim Costin, uh, I think those guys are, are uh, helping. They are. They are, indeed. Bruce, my number is two. And it's two specific moves that McDavid made on that incredible rush that ended it with the winning goal in overtime. You know, when he gets the puck, it's just like a like a nonstop uh, Gatling gun spray of moves that he's making constantly. He's you know he's just moving here, there, and everywhere. But there was two moves in particular that no other mortal, you know, no no hockey player alive today or maybe alive ever could have made i don't think and they're what separate mcdavid his ability at high this incredibly high speed that he moves at to execute these plays and the first one so he's he's the orders are regrouping in the neutral zone and mcdavid comes shooting across um the uh center ice area moving laterally across he gets the pass from nurse and his first move was to take the puck to his backhand to puck protect. Because on him is Alex Peter Angelo, you know, one of the mm-hmm. premier defensemen in the NHL for the last 10 years. A big, rangy guy who can really defend. And what does McDavid do? He gets the puck, moves it to his backhand, and immediately, with perfect weight, throws it forward about four or five strides past Peter Angelo. So McDavid is now going to skate onto that puck. Um and and I don't know if he beats Peter Angelo if he doesn't do that. If he tries right. to hold the puck, he might not beat him. But he moves the puck ahead and skates onto it. So he and he and he does all that in a split second, and with perfect weight on pushing the puck ahead. Most other people would push the puck ahead and would go deep mm-hmm. into the corner, right? You'd have to go get it and fetch it in the corner. But he just put it ahead just enough to get by Peter Angelo and regain the puck on the other side. And then he's moving in on number 20, Chandler Stevenson, in, this, in the defensive slot. Um, and he's and he's got a little bit of an edge on him. And he's he then puck protects to the outside. He's got the puck on his backhand because uh, Stevenson's in the middle of the ice. And then he's, he's, he's going to make his move on net. 
And the second move that he makes at incredible high speed is he takes that puck to get by Stevenson. He's got to puck protect. He's got to have it on his backhand. But then with lightning quick speed with his hands, just unbelievable sleight of hand, he takes the puck and moves it to his forehand. Just and then bam into the top of the net. But it's that little move to the forehand which yeah. gives him the angle to get off that forehand shot because he otherwise he has to shoot backhand or try to take it around the goalie and deke. But that quick move from the backhand in just with his hands to pull that puck in so he can launch it up high, that was sublime. And again, no, I don't think, maybe there's a few other people who could do that, but there are very few other people on, on earth who can make those two particular mm-hmm. moves at the speed that he's moving at Mm-hmm. Um, it was it was awesome. It was absolutely thrilling to see him do that. Well, from the goalie's perspective on that play where he's come, cutting across like that, and he has those two touches, and it's like they're like an eighth of a second apart between him pulling it from the mm-hmm. backhand. He moves it maybe, what, a foot or a foot and a half towards his forehand, but it's on his forehand and gone before the goalie can even get set. The new shooting angle, the puck's already behind him and in the net. And you know, it's nor, normally you know these things take sort of a, a known amount of time. It's like a you know a, a shortstop feeling at ground ball, and he knows how much time it takes the runner to get to first base. And well, some guys are a little bit faster than that. Other guy, well, this is Ricky Henderson, and the shortstop's got no time at all because he's already you know 70 feet down the line before the guy even touches the ball. And it's you know it's just it's just a, a, a game changer, uh, the quickness that he's able to uh, to pull off these high skill moves. Yeah, if he ever wants to make his if he's ever down on his luck and he needs to make his living as a pickpocket, <laughs> he will be a rich man that way as well. <laughs> he's so his hands are so unbelievable. Like it's just it's such a joy to watch, hey Bruce. It's just a yeah. It is thrilling, and we are mm-hmm. so we are so fortunate and lucky to have this this player um, in in the prime of his career. Who knows if he'll be here in Edmonton the whole time of his career? But in the prime years of his career, I'm still hopeful that he will. But in the prime of his career, we're seeing this guy night in, night out, and some nights he just puts on a show like he does there and mm-hmm. takes over the game and wins it for his team. So um, I just I would I really I one of the reasons I want to see this team get it together defensively is I, I really do think McDavid like he, he deserves to win he deserves to be on a winning team he deserves to be on a team that wins the Stanley Cup and the only way that will happen with this team and maybe with any team given parity in the NHL right. is through absolute maniacal defensive commitment and um, they, they've got to bring that but if they do that if they do all that if they do that hard stuff they will. They can win the cup. They can win the Stanley Cup. He can be rewarded for his great gifts, and I, that's what I want to see. I think that should right. happen. I think that would be justice. But he can, he, he can only bring about that. You know, he's gonna he's gonna be he's gonna be paying the iron price for the Stanley Cup with lots of blood, sweat, and tears in defensive playing defensive hockey. He and Drysital, that's gonna that's gonna what's gonna be what it's gonna take. I think they're gonna do it, but I think they are going to do it. So. Uh, that's the story of the year. Can they pull that off? Yeah. Well, tonight was the perfect example of a game where they probably got outplayed on balance. You know, they got outshot 34-23. We had the grade A shots at 16-11. to 11. But the Oilers executed better on their 
on their opportunities and they were able to, to bury. And that's what you hope is your advantage with a high skill team. And maybe you take some of those other numbers with a grain of salt because <clears> you know the sh- a shot on your team's stick is maybe worth a fraction more of an expected goal than a shot on the other team's stick. And when thing goes goes according to plan, you finish a few and your goalie stops a few at the other end and you, you find a way to come out on top. And that's really what happened tonight. We should just finish off with a bit of a shout out to the goalie, to Stuart Skinner, who, yeah. you know, had those, you know, had a pretty good game. Um, he he was he was the better goalie tonight and the owners won. So um, that's what you want to see from a goalie. Stuart Skinner has been, he's been great. He's just, he's just had a great start to the year. So good for him hopefully he can keep it up and hopefully jack campbell can come in and and start getting his game together there was a you know a really good uh breakdown of his game by mckenna who, who mike, broke that mike mike mckenna of <clears throat> yeah. it was really good and he had video footage and he you know he really knows his stuff i've been following mckenna on twitter for a long time since he was a player he was always quite open about goaltending and techniques and stuff and he was a great follow and i'm not surprised at all that he's moved on and found a you know, a platform in media now that his long and checkered career that he played with about 300 different teams in about 20 <laughs> leagues. But uh, he's, uh, I'm not surprised and I'm, I'm quite happy to see that he's landed on his feet because uh, he's got plenty to say about the, about the uh, position. Well, Bruce, we're closing in on 2 a.m. Edmonton time here, so I think we should let you get back to work at your game. Yeah, I'm about two thirds of the way through, but I still got a couple of the big ones to get to, and then I got to get her up and get to bed. Well, crank it out, man. (laughs) Crank it out. Okay. Thanks for talking tonight, Bruce. All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast.